The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. My name is uh, my name is Reed, and I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it's an honor to be with you tonight. Uh, our senior pastor, Rex Johnson, is in uh, Colorado. He's at a pastor's retreat just for a few days. He'll be back on Sunday to greet you on the porch with a warm hug. He sends his regards. You know this is where he wants to be. If he could like, if we could build a teleportation tool, then he would go to Colorado and then around 7.20 or maybe even earlier than that, 7 o'clock, he would transport to that porch and then he'd go back and, and, uh, and hang out with some other pastor friends. But this is good for him to get away in the middle of the summer and it's my honor to address you tonight. But we're talking about fearless. Fearless. Let me ask you this. What is your greatest fear? What's your greatest fear? For me growing up, I I had some fears. I remember having true trepidation in a couple of areas. One of the areas that I was really scared, like literally terrified, was with home invasion. A home is supposed to be a place that's safe and our home, for whatever reason, was not safe for a season. We had uh, three burglaries in, in a string of about three months that uh, people broke into our home while we were home. If you've had your home broken into, you feel the invasion. It's just, it just feels dirty. You feel violated. But when you're home, there's a safety uh, factor as well. And, and we were wrestling with... Like, this is a really scary thing. The first time it happened, I was home. I was having a sleepover with some of my guy friends, and we were all in the back room making a lot of noise. And I think that is what deterred whoever broke into our home from getting further into the home because we had a garage, and connected to the garage was kind of a utility room with with the washer and the dryer. And that's about as far as they made it, as far as we can tell, because that was all they took. Everything they took was in there. They took... um, a VCR, which was in there for a weird reason, and if you're under 20, that's like a Blu-ray player. Um, <laughs> you'd stick cassettes in there, and it would play movies. Um, they took some money out of my mom's wallet, which was there, and took her credit cards. And so we never really locked the door from the garage to the utility room. We just never did. We were just a trusting, it was in Snyder, Texas, little old podunk town in West Texas. So we'd start locking that door. The second time they came back, um, they got back into the garage. We couldn't really secure the garage as well as the house. And so they got into the garage. They got into our parents, my parents' cars, stole my dad's gun out of his car, stole loose chains, stole some tools out of the garage. And so we're kind of on high alert. And it had been happening. It happened to several of our neighbors. The police were trying to find these culprits. And so um, fast forward to the third time that it happened. And um, I, my parents were there. I was home. And I was, I was, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old, and I went in to get a, a midnight snack. Now, the kitchen is right next to the utility room, is right next to the garage where they were trying to come in. And we'd been locking that door. We'd been locking the actual doorknob to the, to the utility room, to the garage. They couldn't get in the house. And I'm getting a snack, and I hear in the utility room the door handle jiggling. Somebody's trying to get in the house. And my heart is coming out of my chest. And so I went into my parents' bedroom. It was really close, too. I went into their bedroom, and I said, Mom, Dad, somebody's trying to break in the house. Now, my dad, my dad kind of looks like me, but he was about two inches taller and about 50 pounds heavier. So he's a bigger boy. 
And uh, my dad, when I said, there's somebody breaking in the house, he goes, whoa! And he jumps out of bed, and he goes straight to his closet. My mother proceeds to get on uh, the phone. She's calling 911. She's trying to get the police on the phone. My dad, at that point, comes out of the closet. He's got on his boxer shorts, no pants, no socks, cowboy boots, and a double bear shotgun in each hand. And he's going out. He's going to light somebody up. And the, the police on the phone with my mom, they're like, they don't even care about the burglars. They're like, can you keep your husband in the house? No, he's already out there. I think he's going to kill them. You know, she just, they, she was, he was going to take him out. These burglars were like the cleanest burglars of all time. They, they shut all the car doors. They'd actually shut the garage before they left. So he went out there and they, weren't, they were gone. And they made a really clean getaway to act like they weren't even there. So my dad opens the garage because it just happened. And so he's looking, he's trying to find, about that time the police show up and it's, Again, Snyder, Texas. There's not a lot going on, so all the police are at our house, and they're in the backyards looking. They're scouring with spotlights. They're looking at dumpsters. We can't find them. Can't find these, these guys. They've been trying to find these, these burglaries that have been have, trying to find the, the people that had done that and responsible for that. So, uh, so we're all sitting at the kitchen table, and it's about 1 or 2 in the morning at this point, and just trying to like, you know, calm down, catch our breath, and all the lights are on. We're about to go back to bed. And, and I hear that door jiggle again. Well, this time I'm not as scared because my parents are out there. All the lights are on now. And so I peer into the utility room. Did y'all know that a hamster running in its wheel makes the exact same sound as a door jiggling? Exact same sound. And so <laughs> I was so on high alert. I was so scared. And, and the cops were scouring the city for these burglars, and it was really a seven-ounce rodent doing cardio in the middle of the night. It was just, <laughs> so that, that was me. But I, I still, to this day, I'll sometimes have night terrors about a home invasion. I have a security system on my home, I guess is maybe a, a, a precursor to all this that's happened. Um, I, t- talking about nightmares, I used to have really bad night terrors. My wife and I got married. And she would see me kind of struggling in a dream, and she would kind of gently nudge me. And she's learned, just let me do it. Because I'd wake up, and I'm like, violent. I'm like, who are you? Like, she's like, I'm your wife. Calm down. Like, I'm, just, I'm just disoriented. Anybody been there before? And so, I used to have really bad nightmares. Uh, I remember as a kid going into my parents' room. They didn't want me sleeping with them, but I, I'd have nightmares, and I just felt safe in there. You know, you just do. And so I'd, I'd go in, and, and I would lay by their bed, and, and just on the floor, and then they'd wake up in the morning, step on me, and my mom's like, Reed, get over your fear, you're 18, it's, you got to stop <laughs> with your nightmares. I was really scared growing up of the rapture. I was scared of that, you know, like Jesus coming back to get, to get his kids, and uh, I think it was part of, part of it, was, it was like when I was a teenager, and the Left Behind books came out, remember those? And they just had everybody just thinking about the rapture. And I know we just got done talking about the end times. And I've actually counseled some people that have the same kind of fear. And I did. I had a fear. I remember sitting around a campfire with my friends. And we became like theologians on the end times. And I, I just was fearful that, that everybody's going to be gone. <laughs> you know, we, we, we go to sleep and I'd wake up and up, their clothes would be there. I just, like I'd be the only one left. In the back of my head, I knew that those friends, they weren't going anywhere. But that's a true story. But I just felt like... <laughs> I was scared that I was going to be the only one left. Something that should be celebrated made me scared. Here's the thing about fear. Fear doesn't play around. It doesn't play around. It comes to consume you and debilitate you. That's what it does. 
And, and I, I just came up with this definition of fear. I don't know if this is a good definition, but it's my definition. Fear is, in spite of my best efforts, something undesirable is going to happen, and I can't stop it. Fear is, in spite of my best efforts, something undesirable is going to happen, and I cannot stop it. Fear is a big deal in the story of God. It's all throughout this word. In fact, the command that we're given most often, uh, outnumbering every other command by a large margin, is do not fear. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Perhaps because they knew it would be such a prevalent problem. God knew that we would wrestle with fear. In fact, I read where biblical scholars believe there's 365 fear knots in the word of God. Now, I didn't count them all, but if that's true, that's really cool. That's one fear knot every single day because we need that daily reminder, do not fear. I am with you. Take courage. Don't be afraid. The problem with fear, the problem with fear is it undermines our confidence in the goodness and the greatness of God. It just does. Think about it. You come into a relationship with Jesus. I no longer live. He now lives in me. So I'm proclaiming I'm a child of God. But then I have this fear. And it's undermining my faith. It's undermining my confidence. It's undermining my trust in God. Can I say, well, I'm a child of God. And God's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But I got this fear And you're undermining the goodness and the greatness of God. And let me just say, if you're a fearful person, and let me just lump in anxiety, worry, and stress. They're all in the same family. If you're a person of high anxiety or or high stress or high fear, you're in great company. Because the Bible is chock full of fearful people. Remember in in, uh, Numbers 13, Moses wants to go into the land that God has promised to them. He says, I want to go in. This is the land that God has promised. It's flowing with fruit and milk and honey. It's a great place. But let's just send in some spies to just check things out before we go take the land. So he sends in 12 spies. You know this story. He sends in 12 spies. The 12 men go in. They come out. And 10 of the 12 have negative fear-filled responses. Oh, it was, it was, it was beautiful, Moses. It was everything we thought it was. I mean, it's flowing with fruit and milk and the honey. It is gorgeous it's the it's it's paradise on earth but there are giants living there we look like grasshoppers compared they're powerful people we can't inhabit this land it's already inhabited and so because of 10 fear-filled reports the israelite community continued to wander around in a desert instead of going into the paradise that god had promised them And, and you remember first kings 18 elijah it's one of my favorite stories in scripture. Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal, there was a, 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 a king that was ruling at the time named King Ahab. And King Ahab was a wicked king and he was a weak king. And uh, he married a, a, a lady named Jezebel. You don't name your kids Jezebel because of her. She ruined the name Jezebel for all Jezebels in the history of Jezebel. And she was a wicked king and she worshipped this false god named Baal. And so because of that she brought in false worship into Israel. And that upset Elijah, certainly upset God. So Elijah says, hey, I got an idea. Let's have a showdown. You think Baal is the one true God. I think Elijah, excuse me, God is the one true God. So let's go on top of Mount Carmel, not Mount Carmel, but Mount Carmel. And and let's build an altar and let's both pray and see which God devours the altar with fire. 
Jezebel said, that sounds like a good idea. So she sends 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah for the showdown on Mount Carmel. They get on Mount Carmel. They construct this altar. And Elijah's a gentleman. He says, you go first. You need to read this. The Bible is so fun. 1 Kings 18. It's a funny story. So they start praying. uh, These prophets of Baal, they start praying from the morning till around noon. And nothing's happening. And so they're kind of getting discouraged. And Elijah starts trash talking. Again, you got to read the word. It's so funny. And he's like... Uh, maybe, maybe Bell's taking a nap. <laughs> maybe, maybe he just can't hear you. Maybe you need to shout a little. Loud. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he took a little trip. Right? He just, he just trash talking these guys. And so they're like, well, let's get louder. They start cutting themselves. Blood's flowing everywhere and making a huge scene. Nothing happens. Nothing. Nothing. So after some more time, Elijah says, okay, 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 okay. Enough with this. It's my turn. He says, okay. Go get four buckets of water. Go. They come back. It says, pour it on the altar. Okay, do it again. Pour it on the altar. Do it again. Pour it on the altar. So now the altar is drenched. It's soaking, standing water in the altar. And Elijah stands up, and he looks up, and he prays. And immediately, fire rains down from heaven. And licks up all of that water, completely consumes that altar, and it's a huge victory for the Lord. The people start saying, Elijah's God is the one true God. Elijah's God is the one true God. It's a huge victory. But he's not done there yet. He turns to the 450 prophets of Baal and says, you have been leading our people to a false, false God, false worship. And he goes on and he slays 450 men. Huge victory for the Lord, huge victory for Elijah, and the very next three verses in Scripture. Look, it's on the screen. Here's what it says. Now Ahab, that's the king, told Jezebel, that's the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Basically, you killed them, I'm coming for you, I'm killing you. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. The verse preceding that, he's slaying 450 prophets. God consumes his altar. Our God's the one true God. And the very next moment, he gets an empty threat from a wicked queen and he flees in fear. Probably the most famous story in fear is 1 Samuel 17. It's a standoff between the armies of Israel and, the, and uh, King Saul and the armies of the Philistines. The Philistines were a godless people. Well, they had gods, just not our true God. To a godly people, light versus darkness, good versus evil. It's the great epic battle. Within this particular backdrop, there's a giant that's named Goliath that is making these taunts day after day after day to the people of Israel. Here it is in verse 4. This is 1 Samuel 17, 4. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. So he's over nine foot tall. And I don't want to brush past that word champion. Okay? This dude had a record. Because my guess is, is whatever fear you're wrestling with didn't show up last night. It's probably something that you've been wrestling with for a while. And it puts that little thought in the back of your head. Hey, you remember that service you went to? And you thought it was just so good? I didn't last through lunch, did it? You're right back in my old fears here again. Hey, remember you went to that women's conference, that marriage retreat? And you were like, our marriage is going to be different now. 
It's not, is it? <laughs> right? It has a track record. Fear has a track record. And Goliath, he had a track record. When Goliath stepped out, it wasn't just like, hey, here's a big guy. It's like, here is Goliath. And he has a history of dismantling people. He has a history of winning. I can almost see it in my head. I'm a big, I like wrestling and, 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 and UFC and those kinds of things. And so I can just kind of see like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event in this corner. Stands our Israelite from so-and-so and so-and-so weighing such and such and such and such with a record of 12-0 and in the black trunks. Give it up for our Israelite. And in this corner, standing in at over nine foot tall, he's got a wreck from Gath. Who's from Gath? That's like the worst place ever. Goliath from Gath. From hailing from Gath. Standing in with 42 wins and zero losses with 53 knockouts. That's right. He knocked people out, revived them in the same fight, and knocked them out again. He's the undefeated, undisputed, welterweight, heavyweight, bantamweight, flyweight. He's got the women's belt. He has all the championships. Ladies and gentlemen, Goliath! This is a champion. So he comes out. It wasn't just a big dude. They're like, it's a champion. Right? I can just see it. That's how my mind works. I'm sorry. Verse 5. He had a bronze helmet on his head. And wore a coat of scale of armor, a bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 155 pounds, by the way. That's a high school kid. Some of us couldn't pick up a high school kid. He's wearing it as clothes. Okay, that's his, that's his armor. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. And a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels. So the point on the top of the spear weighed 18 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of them. Verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects or servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So this has been going on for 40 days and for 40 nights. He comes out, he starts the day taunting, he ends the day taunting. It's just this constant thing. I don't even know why you're here. Look at verse 10. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. If you're fearful today, you're in good company. Now, if you skip down a little bit to verse 20, look at this. This is the, 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 the story picks up. Jesse sends his son David. Now, David's just a boy, but his brothers are part of the army. So he says, go check on your brothers for me. So David goes, verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out uh, to its battle position, shouting the war cry. <laughs> Can you imagine how lame that war cry would have been? All right, everybody, don't die on three. One, two, three, don't die. Right? Like it's, a, it's the worst. I don't know what war cry they had. They were all scared. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. Verse 22. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. 
As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, there it is again. Here he comes, nine foot tall. He's wearing a high school kid. He's got a spear with a point that's 18 pounds, undefeated. He gouges people's eye out. He's main people. That's he's hearing this. Stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Verse 24, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great Let me just say, just a little side note. Is fear, we talked about that earlier, comes to consume and debilitate you. It doesn't play around. And when fear comes for you, if you don't recognize your own Goliaths in your world, and you don't do something about them, they're going to destroy you. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his MO. And so if we're not cognizant that, hey, he's coming to destroy me, I've got to take out my giant. I've got to take out my fear. I've got to take out the thing that's staring me in the face. Even the disciples, they were fearful all the time. And they were hanging out with Jesus most of the time. But they were always fearful. Look at Matthew 8. This is a famous story. They're all in a boat together. Then he got into the boat. Let me just say, this, this is, uh, when, when Jesus was preaching, he was becoming more popular. People were pressing in. They wanted miracles. They wanted to hear this man speak. And so he couldn't get in his forward focus and speed away. Like, how do you escape the crowds? He had to get away, right? And so a lot of times you'll read this, like he'll do like a sermon, and then he'll get in a boat. And that was just kind of what he did. He's like, all right, see you later. <laughs> Y'all don't have boats. <laughs> like, and he just, he, that's, that's how he'd escape. So he gets in a boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, catch this, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was calm. Implication, hey, why are you so afraid? You of little faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. Faith is the opposite of fear. Because he didn't say, hey, you're not fearful. You've got great faith. He says, why, oh, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Faith is the opposite of fear. A little bit later, Jesus had just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Amazing miracle. And the disciples are pumped. And then this happens. This is Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. There they are again. And go on ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night... He was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So this time, it's not a storm that hits the disciples' boat, but it's just a really strong headwind. And so these men, that, that's what they did before they followed Jesus. They knew, how to, they, they knew the waters, they knew how to row, they know the boat, and they're just rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing in, in this headwind and not really making any progress. We know that because of verse 25, shortly before dawn, they've been rowing all night going and going and they're not making any progress Jesus went out to them walking on the lake when the disciples saw him walking on the lake they were terrified it's a ghost they said and cried out in fear but Jesus immediately said to them take courage it's I don't be afraid that's you Jesus Yeah. Wait a minute. 
So you weren't with us, but you were watching us the whole time? Uh Uh-huh. Because there's going to be a day coming where I'm not going to be with you, but I'm going to be watching over you. Verse 28, Peter, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Which, let me just a little side note, I love that Peter asked that question. He didn't just run to Jesus. He said, I want to make sure this is part of the plan. If it's you, tell me to come out there, right? There's far too many people that, that do things in the name of the Lord, and they have this agenda. This is a whole other message for a whole other day. This is just for free. This is good stuff. They do things in the name of the Lord that God said, I never called you to do that. And so because you're sinking, I, I, didn't, I didn't call you to step out of the boat. I wanted you to stay in the boat. All right, that one's for free. Thank you very much. <laughs> Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Come. Okay, come. All right, here I come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Can you imagine this moment? Right? You may come. He's walking on liquid. How cool is this moment? Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I don't know how you, how you see the wind. I think what he's trying to say is that just fear attacks us from a multi-sensory way. And, I, he, you know, he, he, Lord, save me. Why, why is he scared? Well, for one, there's a 14-foot swell of water around me, and I just had a sheet of water come up my nose. And have you looked? I'm walking on the water. I mean, I've got hydrogen, two parts, one part oxygen, and I'm standing on it, and I'm, ah! And so he's fearful, and he starts to sink. And look at the next word. This is so beautiful. You've got to catch this. Immediately. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. What does that tell me? It doesn't say Jesus traveled 40 yards and he was there and he helped immediately, which tells me Jesus was a lot closer to Pete than Pete thought he was. And Pete was a lot closer to Jesus than Pete thought he was. And he says, you a little faith. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. You have a little faith. Why did you doubt? There it is again. Faith is the opposite of fear. Here's something really encouraging. The disciples did not learn their lesson that night. For the rest of their days, they lived in this constant state of fear, and trepidation, and worry, anxiety, up until the point that Jesus was crucified. I want to show you a verse in, in John 19. Um, so, so Jesus, he, he's, he's, he's beaten within an inch of his life. Probably should have died from the lacerations. And they stick spikes through his hands and his feet. And in their minds, they're thinking, if this happened to our king, then they're probably coming for us next. And this is where Peter, the same Peter who just walked on the water, said uh, he denied Christ. Hey, aren't you, aren't you his friend? Aren't you Peter, his best friend? I'm not I'm, I'm Pedro. I don't know who Peter is. Like he's just, he denied him. I, I don't know who you're talking about, Peter. Yeah, so, so they're scared. Listen to this, John 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leadership, they're going, they're coming for us next. Let's deadbolt the doors and just hide in here and huddle and shh, be quiet. 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I love that. I just, in my head, I just see them all going, it's a ghost. And he's like, peace. Yeah. (laughs) After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I love that. Hey, guys, it's me. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not an apparition. I'm not a ghost. Check it out, baby. You can see right through. Woo! Cool, huh? Check it out. Another, another gospel writer says that he breathed on them, that he broke bread with them. I'm not a ghost. It's me. I'm back, baby. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And history records that right after this moment, those same men who had the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leadership, knees knocking in that room, went from completely scared to completely brave. They didn't fear anymore. In fact, they'd be willing to die for their faith. And history records that they all did. All the men in that room did. And some others. And I wanted, this is from the Fox's Book of Martyrs and some other texts. But I want to read you what some of those men went through after that moment. They got the doors locked. I'm scared of the Jewish leadership. And right after that moment, listen to how they died. Matthew was slain with a sword in Ethiopia. Mark was cruelly dragged through the streets of Alexandria until he died. Luke was hanged upon an olive tree in Greece. Peter was crucified at Rome with his head downward. He was crucified upside down. James the Greater was beheaded at Jerusalem. James the Less was thrown from a lofty pinnacle, then beaten to death with a fuller's club. Bartholomew was flayed alive. That's the worst one to me. It's just like flaying him alive until he doesn't live anymore. Andrew was bound to a cross whereby he preached to his prosecutors until he died. And in almost every case, they gave these men an ultimatum. They said, hey, just announce Christ. Just tell us it's all a hoax and we'll let you go. And every single one, like, kill me. Kill me. I don't, whatever you got to do, just kill me. To live as Christ, if I'm here, if I'm on this earth, you're going to hear me talk about Christ. It's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ. And then if I die, guess what? That's my game. So to live as Christ and to die is gain. So you can kill me. You got to do what you got to do. But I'm not talking about that this didn't happen. I saw it happen. I touched the nail scars. I put my hand in his side. I broke bread with him. He's alive. You got to do what you got to do. Keep going. Thomas was run through the body with a lance at Coromandel. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was first stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death. Paul was beheaded at Rome by an emperor named Nero. And John, they tried to kill John. They put him in a cauldron of boiling oil and it didn't kill him. And so he's just sitting there going, you got some shampoo? This is a nice bath. And they couldn't kill him. So they put him on this island called Patmos. They said, well, just, you can't tell anybody about Jesus. You're going to be on this island by yourself. And that's where he would write Revelation. God said, I'm not done with you yet, John. But tell me this, why were these men martyred? One moment we we get the doors locked because I'm scared for my safety and the next moment it's like, kill me. It wasn't a sermon. It wasn't a pep talk that they heard from Jesus. All right, guys, get them. It wasn't a song they sang. It was they saw a resurrected Savior And once they saw Jesus risen from the dead, their greatest fear, death itself, was defeated. And they're like, hey, if he can be death, he can be death for us. And so we don't have anything to fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. you got to do what you got to do. I am a child of God. That's just their thought. And tonight, 
I want more than anything for you to come to that same conclusion that Jesus Christ, he did die for me. He, he was put on a cross and he died on that cross and they put him in the grave. But he came out of that grave, the, the stone rolled away and he is alive. He is alive. He is seated on an everlasting throne. He's coming back for me and I put my faith in him because faith is the opposite of fear. So let me get to the punch of the gut question for you tonight. What is your what is it? If you are identifying, what is my fear? Because I believe what you fear most reveals the area where you trust God the least. All right, all right. Oh, that one hurt. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. You got ten toes. I can break two. Okay. The area where you fear most is very likely the area you trust God the least. So I want to identify that. For us tonight. Here's what I'd like you to do. This little active participation tonight. I'd like for you to just process that. Because you can just listen. And let the Holy Spirit kind of work inside of you. But if you're not truly honest with what you struggle with. You're going to come this close to freedom. And you're going to miss it. And it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'm going to ask you to be transparent. This is going to be a little difficult, but this is just between you and the Lord, okay? You don't have to share this with anybody unless you want to. But I'd love for you in your notes, if you're taking notes or in your phone, you have my permission to take out your phone. I want you to take out your phone, and I want you to fill in this blank. I, if I physically write this down, I am not trusting God with blank. I am not trusting God with with blank. They'll put it on the screen for you. I'm not trusting God with fill in that blank. Because why, why is this so important? You cannot defeat what you will not define. So I want you just to write it down. Is it my children? You know, I'm fearful for my children. I'm, I'm always fearful for their safety. Every time they leave the house, I'm calling them 17 times. I'm just, I just fear that they're going to be safe, their security. Is it your parents? And their health, is it my health, is it death, is it somebody you love, is it being alone, is it the future, is it money? Identify it. And I want you to go a little layer deeper, don't put spiders, okay? Some of you, you have a real trepidation with spiders or snakes, but the the lower level layer is, I'm really scared of getting hurt. I'm scared of injury. And that's a real fear. I'm scared of being injured. I'm scared of, for my own safety. So, like, don't just put clowns. Like, go a, a lower level and go... What am I fearful of? I mean, why am I scared of clowns? What is it? That, what's the root of the, the problem? I'm not trusting God with blank. If you're listening on the podcast, you get to do this too, unless you're driving. You cannot defeat what you will not define. First of all, I'm proud of you for doing that. Sometimes hard to just admit that. I'm not, I think this is a fear of mine. This is something I struggle with. And uh, I want to God for, I want for God to set you free from those deepest fears. And this is, I, I want to I tell you that, that so many times God already knows your fears. He does. And so sometimes with, with me just admitting that and, and telling God, saying, God, I don't, I don't trust you with this. Uh, it's just catching me up to what he already knows anyway. God, this is, this is what I struggle with. Now, I'm going to tell you two steps that I think are, are really simplistic and maybe elementary, but they're so profound. If you'll take them and you'll use them, that could be life-changing for you. 
Okay, this is the first step. You can write this down too. We are going to acknowledge our fear and choose to trust God anyway. Because faith is the opposite of fear. So we're going to acknowledge our fear. This is what I struggle with. God, I don't trust you with this. And we're going to trust him anyway. We've got to be honest and say, that's what I struggle with. And I'm choosing to trust you, God. This is my fear. You already know it's a fear. I'm going to give this fear to you. I'm going to choose to trust you. And this is exactly what David, the young boy who fought Goliath, did in the Old Testament. Right before the battle with Goliath that we looked at, David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king. And it's a really sweet moment that happens. And so he's anointed to be the king, but he's not the king yet. But Saul, who was the king at the time, catches wind that David's supposed to be the next king. And so David defeats Goliath, which put fear into all Israelites. And so then people started going, oh, David, David, David. And David kind of had the Midas touch on the battlefield. And you read in 1 Samuel 18 that every battle that David entered, he was victorious. And the popularity is growing and Saul's jealousy became an issue. And he put a hit out on David's life. He says, kill that guy because he's going to take my throne before I'm ready to relinquish it. And so he wants to kill him. So David literally spends years running from and hiding from Saul. Would you qualify that as a life of fear? I would say so. But listen, listen what David chose to do. This is Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. And when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I want you to highlight that. I want you to underline that in God. I want you to say that every day, in God I trust and am not afraid. In God I trust and am not, I acknowledge my fear and I choose to trust you anyway. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Why would, why would David say that? What can mere mortals do to him? Okay, well Saul's after him. What do kings have? Armies. What can armies do to you? Kill you. So mere mortals could kill you, Dave. But here's the thing about David is he said, you know what? I know that that my home is not here. I get that. My home is not. I have a a temporary visa to be here. I have citizenship in heaven. I'm only here for a short season. And so I'm not worried about what what can mere mortals do to me. Yeah, you can chase after me. But that doesn't change the fact that God still sits on his throne. You can hurt me. That's fine. You can hurt me if you want to hurt me. But that doesn't change the fact that God has a purpose for my life. And you know what? You can kill me, guys. But that doesn't change the fact that God's will will still be done. So what can mere mortals do to me? My citizenship is not here. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm just here for a season. What can mere mortals do to me? In God I trust. And I am not afraid. That's what he's saying. So you say, you know what, God? I struggle with this. But I choose to trust you anyway. Does that make sense? Just trusting him. Just trusting him. Here's the second thing. We're nearly done. Write this down. We're going to seek God until he helps us overcome our fears. We're going to seek God until he helps us overcome our fears. Just seek him. Just press into him. Just pursue him. That's what David did. And God removed his fears. I want you to feel the power of his faith in this verse. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. And he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Isn't that beautiful? I want you to say that someday. I want you to say, I sought the Lord. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I sought the Lord. 
and he delivered me from all my fears. I don't have anxiety anymore. I don't have worry anymore. I don't have stress anymore. I don't have fear anymore. He delivered me from all my fears because I sought him. I sought the Lord and he just delivered me. I want that to be the truth for you. I want you to be able to say that I sought the Lord and he delivered me. I'm not scared anymore. God has delivered me from all of my fears. According to David, how that happens is by pressing into God like you never, ever have before. There's a book called Jesus Calling. Sarah Young writes this incredible book. She's an anointed young woman. And uh, she writes this. I want to put this on the screen. She says, we often glance at God, but gaze at our circumstances. We have it backwards. We should gaze at God. We should seek God. We should pursue God. And occasionally glance over here at our circumstances. We should just be so enamored with God. Just check the rearview mirror every once in a while, see what's going on back there. But I just want to gaze at God. Gaze into the eyes of Jesus. Remember Pete on the water? What happened when he stopped looking at Jesus? He started getting fearful again. One of my favorite songs growing up as a kid. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Randy, Randy, if you'll come. We've got to acknowledge our fear. And just trust God anyway. And then seek him until you overcome. You can overcome your fears. You can. I believe it. I close. Some of you, what you need to do um, is you need to get out your smartphone and... Uh, And you need to open it up and, and go to the Bible app. Y'all got the Bible app? You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> you version. I need to open it up. And uh, you need to click on Psalm 23. Very familiar psalm. And I just want you to read it. It's written by that little shepherd boy who took down that giant. And this is what he said. I want you to listen closely. It's not on the screen. Just listen. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Why don't we fear any evil? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, surely your goodness and love will flow. Follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you, I get it, okay? You wrestle with fear. You wrestle with anxiety. You wrestle with stress. That's not God's will for you. In fact, he would say, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, 
give it to me. Make your request to me. Let my peace, which transcends your understanding, guard you. Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I, I don't want you to be anxious. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to fear. 365 do not fears in Scripture. And some of you, I, I know this is an issue. And listen, this is an issue in my home. I'm, I have an eight-year-old son who is fearful. And he hears me quote these scriptures all the time. He knows them because I quote them almost daily. I mean, just silly stuff. He's just scared of everything. He's, today, he, he said, I'm, I'm, what if somebody kidnaps me? Uh, how much would you pay to have me come back? About 10 bucks. 10 bucks? All right, 20. There you go, we got 30. We get 40. 40, 55, 55, 60, 70, 70, 70. Listen, I know fear is a real deal, okay? So maybe what you need to do in the morning is you need to open your phone, because I know you do that anyway. And instead of going to your messages or your email or checking out what happened on Facebook last night while you were sleeping, going to Instagram or checking out the weather forecast for the day, I want you to open up that Bible app. And what's cool is if you click on Psalm 23, there's a little, a little speaker in the top corner. It's pretty neat. And um, you can click on that speaker, and you can have this really cool, calm, collected voice read the Bible to you. I do this a lot. If you have trouble reading the Bible, just get in your car and let the dude read it to you. It's pretty neat. So I would encourage you just to open up your word, start your day with this. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you just need that reminder. Just start your morning that way. Just let the word of God just pour over your heart. Say, God, I, I do have issues and I trust you. I trust you. And I don't want these issues to be areas where I trust you the least. I'm just going to give them to you and I'm going to seek you until you deliver me from all of my fears. And you can be fearless person here's what I'd love to do it's 835 and I promise I'll let you out of here by 840 at the very latest but I would love for our prayer partners to come down just really quickly because you all wrote down something and there's something really powerful come on prayer partners come on there's something really powerful about confessing that stuff sometimes sometimes you just need to tell somebody else and if you don't tell a prayer partner that's fine I would just tell somebody a, a confidant an accountability partner a spouse just say listen this is something I'm wrestling with 
This is something I'm fearful of. This is something that I haven't fully given to God, and I need you to help me and pray for me, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you can find the healing and the freedom you're looking for. And so I, I just want to confess that to somebody and have somebody pray for me. There's power in prayer. You understand that what happens here, these people are just like you and I, but they love Jesus. And uh, the, the, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So just letting someone just pray over you and knowing that an omnipotent God is hearing those prayers and interceding on your behalf, there's something pretty neat about that. And so we want to give you that opportunity just for a few moments if you want to come down. Everybody stand to your feet. We're about to dismiss, I promise. But I don't want to miss this opportunity. Some of you need to give this to God. And you wrote it down in your phone. You wrote it down in your notes. But you need to give it to God. And we're going to pray that God would help you to overcome whatever that is you're dealing with. Whatever it is that you're dealing with that you're not fully trusting the Lord with. Won't you come now? Won't you come now? Raina's going to lead us in a song. And I'll come back up in just a moment and dismiss us. If that's you, I need prayer.